Welcome to Acton Line, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, executive producer. The question of how to reconcile our faith and our work is a permanent challenge after the fall into sin. In the Hebrew scriptures, we read that God judges Adam, quote, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Recent years have seen a reinvigorated discussion and even a broad movement focused on the intersection of faith and work in the modern world. What does our worship have to do with our work? And what might our work have to do with our worship? Today, Acton Senior Research Fellow Jordan Baller talks with the co-authors of a new book focused on these questions. Matthew Kamig is Assistant Professor of Christian Ethics at Fuller Theological Seminary. And Corey Wilson is the Jake and Betsy Tools Associate Professor of Missiology and Missional Ministry at Calvin Theological Seminary. And together, they are the authors of Work and Worship, Reconnecting Our Labor and Liturgy. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at acton.org slash actonline. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Acton Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Well, my name is Jordan Baller. I'm a senior research fellow here at the Acton Institute, and it's my pleasure uh, to be joined on Acton Line today by Matthew Kamink and Corey Wilson, professors of theology at Fuller and Calvin Theological Seminaries, respectively. And they're here to talk about their new book, Work and Worship, Reconnecting Our Labor and Liturgy. Matthew and Corey, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's good to be here, guys. So I, I really enjoyed this book. Um, I would like you to talk a little bit about what motivated you to write it and what what's unique about it. You know, there's uh, probably over the last 20, 20 years at least, if not more, there's been a flourishing of work in the faith and work sector, uh, including many books on vocation and faith and work, some good, some not so good, some bad. Um, you know, Matthew, let me start with you. What's what's unique about your approach to the book? What did you see lacking when you surveyed this this vast landscape of of material on faith and work? Sure, sure. Yeah, you're right. There, there's a lot of books out there about faith and work, and um, I would say Corey and I are are thankful for uh, many of the books that have been written, um, and and we're indebted to them. However, um, I think we sensed a real missing piece. Um, in a lot of the conversations that go on around faith, work, and economics. And that is that tends to be uh, very focused on how the mind enters the marketplace. So Mm. equipping Christians to um, have a Christian mind as they enter into work and as they think about economics and the things that they produce and the things that they exchange and trade, Um, So the focus is really on getting Christian workers to be very theological um, and and filling their head with Christian thoughts before they go to work. And then the assumption of these books is largely that if you're thinking Christianly, you're going to be acting Christianly. um, 
And uh, really the missing piece for us is really, um, and what we found in scripture so often, was that um, the way in which ancient Israelites and early Christians uh, connected their faith with their their daily work was actually through their worship rituals, um, through their offerings, um, and through their confessions. They were constantly um, bringing their work to God in and through their worship. Um, it wasn't that you know ancient Israel had a book on a theology of work. Um, but they had a wide variety of rituals that helped shape their economic practices um, and helped inform their economic practices. So um, what we were really focusing on, and, and really generally, when churches want to engage these questions of faith and work, they tend to have a Sunday school class mm. or they have a book club on faith and work. Right. Um, but their, their Sunday morning worship doesn't really change. Um, in any meaningful way. Their Sunday morning worship doesn't really acknowledge um, the, ex the daily experiences and longings of workers, and it doesn't really send them out into the world with a sense that my work is really participating in the mission of God. And so we, we sensed a real, a real missing piece there, and that's, that's really what we're trying to get after in this book. So, Corey, you, um, you're professor of missiology, among other things, and and uh, you know Matthew's already brought in this dimension of worship. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences uh, in worship and what you know just yourselves, even biographically, what you missed? I mean, at one point you talk about growing up in the church and and um, the kind of implicit theologies of vocation that were on display in the worship services and and those sorts of things. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences of uh, in the church and in the academy, uh, learning about worship and liturgy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So as you, yeah, as you point out at growing up, um, yeah, it's interesting that, uh, even my own personal biography reflected alongside of my pastoral experience. And then later as a scholar, um, all kind of follow the same kind of arc, uh, that Matt laid out for us. <clears throat> I grew up broad evangelical, um, and non-denominational and, um, I knew like, you know, so at growing up in church, we would have every year we would have a mission Sunday. And uh, that was the time where my non-liturgical, quote unquote, church became pretty liturgical. <laughs> it was a map either in the, in the, uh, in the lobby or in the, um, in the sanctuary that had of the world were um, and pictures or little um, little pins were placed with pictures where missionaries that we uh, support live and work. And so that Sunday morning on Mission Sunday, the whole liturgy would change. We'd have a lot more songs about, you know, um, going out. You know, the Great Commission was usually the, the text of the day. And often a missionary on furlough would preach a sermon. Um, and I'm very grateful for that foundation, right? And um, the, the commitment to Jesus, a passion for Scripture and for others to come to know uh, the hope and love of Jesus uh, was, you know, just really ingrained in my DNA uh, through the church. And I'm so grateful. But as I got older, I began to think of, wow, what about uh, my dad, the mechanic, mm. or my friend's mom, who was a public school administrator, principal, superintendent later on? Um, do they belong? Is there room for them on God's mission map? Does their work at all uh, matter or have a role or place in God's mission? And um, it wasn't until I was a 
actually a pastor in a non-denominational church that I got exposed to Reformed theology, and that began to help answer some of the questions that Matt began to, to, to talk about briefly about your work matters to God. Right. And uh, and all of a sudden it was a huge like light bulb went on. It was revolutionary for me. Oh, my gosh. I was a business major in college and business matters to God. It's not only about building relationships through work to win people to Christ, but God cares about well-run businesses and organizations. Um, God cares about markets and economic policies that allow for human flourishing and for organizations to thrive. So the formation that I received in my church really said, yeah, God cares about certain things. I remember even uh, one of my favorite preachers would say the only two things in this world that are eternal are God's word and people. So let's put our energy around God's word and reaching the lost. And the materiality of this world, the daily work of um, of workers, of Christians, uh, really was secondary, was a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think the one way of saying it is that you know, with all of the theology of work books that are out there, they're telling, they're answering the question, does your work to God matter to God? Um, and the answer is yes. But what often happens, even for those churches who begin to live into this worldview or take on board a, a more holistic understanding of God's mission, is yes, your work matters to God, but it really doesn't matter for Sunday worship. Yeah. Um, your work matters to God and God's mission, but really, we haven't really thought through, if that's true, how does that inform the liturgy when we gather together? And so we're really, um, you know, as Jamie Smith will say, um, um, if all of life is to be worshipped, the sanctuary is a place where we learn how. Mm-hmm. And that's really connected, like the sermon, the theology, the worldview, the, even the liturgical practices uh, that I'm sure Matt will comment on around the Eucharist and others. How do those shape how we live out our faith in the daily grind throughout you know, Monday through Friday? That's very, very true. But one of the things that we are very passionate to add into the conversation is if the sanctuary is to be formative— your weekday work must be present or brought in to the worship. So yes, the sanctuary is a place where we learn how uh, that all of life is worship and we're formed to live out our faith. But really the missing link and really what our book is, one of the main things we're trying to do in the book is to connect um, how do we bring our work week and the experiences, the joys, the sorrows, the fruits into gathered worship. And um, and then that actually shapes us in a deeper way um, for to live out our faith in the world. So like for the you know for the life of the world is um, what the liturgy is about. And so our our book is really trying to uh, build on what's already there, but um, offer practices that help us live into that kind of for the life of the world vision. Wow. So there's so much there to unpack already, and I think you, you both have captured very well uh, the big arcs of your book and, and the kind of ambitious, uh, nature of it. And the great thing about the ambitious nature is that I think you deliver on it too. I mean, these are, these are big things, big questions you're trying to tackle and you do so very effectively. Um, one of the things that really stands out to me from the, from, from the book and sets it apart from all these kinds of works that we're talking about, these discussions we've been having is this, yeah, this dynamic Corey that you're just talking about where so much of the faith and work conversation has been trying to bring faith to work and not bringing work to worship. 
you know, in the, in the kind of traditional senses of those terms. And you guys are really focusing on how it has to be both and. I mean, it has to be a dialogue. There's a dialogical, you talk about, you know, a vocational dialogue within the context of, of the worship service that's so important. Um, and now we do work, I do work at a think tank. So I'm, with some apologies, we're going to stay in the, level, in the realm of ideas and the intellectual questions for a little while before we do move on to these really pressing questions of practice. I sometimes joke that uh, the most practical we get in the theology classroom is we, we theorize about practice. But um, we're going to talk about some actual practical examples down the road. But I do want to stay on the, on, on the intellectual questions for a little bit just so we, that we have some of our categories straight. And, and at one point in the book, uh, Matt, you already kind of met, uh, alluded to this. You, you say, you know, you go to theologians and guess what? They prescribe more theology. Like this is what we tend to do. This, you know, if you're a – if you have a hammer, every, everything looks like a nail. If you're a theologian – the, the answer for everything is more theology. Um, but you do provide us with some really good theology and some really solid theology in this book. And some of it's a corrective to kind of, you know, traditionally understood, you know, ways of thinking about discipleship and following Christ in the world and vocation. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about the, the like the image of priest, uh, the, the worker as a kind of a pre, of priest and some of the biblical basis for it and, so, and even some of the practical theological implications of that that understanding of the of the office of believer um absolutely well there's lots of places to go in scripture to think about priesthood and really this understanding of the priesthood of all believers and you can sort of read our book as as a reflection on what does it mean that all believers are priests um and honestly you can go straight back to the garden of eden Mm. Um, that human beings are given a priestly calling uh, right there at the beginning, that to work in the garden is an act of worship. It is, it, Adam and Eve are not only commanded um, to work, but um, just simply for their own provision, but they're commanded to work because that's what God, God wants for them. And that's what God delights in. And so we see that continue throughout the Old Testament as people are lifting up their work in worship, as if God delighted in their work. So it's not as if, you know, the Israelites are um, farming simply for their own survival or simply because God commanded them to farm, but they actually believe that God delights in the things that they in the, in the fruits of their labor, mm. you know, throughout the old Testament, they talk about God having nostrils and breathing in the sacrifices and the offerings and the feasts, uh, as if God really does delight and, and, um, takes it in as worship. So the work itself is not simply obedience to a cultural mandate. Um, but the work is, is an offering of worship that it, it, there's something priestly about it. And then the second thing um, that is priestly about our work is a sort of intercessory role that we have, um, that we um, intercede um, before God on behalf of our work. We, we pray for rain. We pray for protection. We pray for justice um, in the workplace. We, um, as workers, offer up um, our our clients and our customers, we offer up our employees and our employers, and we intercede um, before God in prayer for our workplace. So we have a priestly function as workers. And, um, and it's important for us to really lean into that, you know, you know, I I mean, ancient Israel, they were called to be a whole nation of priests. 
Um, and of course they had a special class of people who were, you know, that was their whole vocation was to serve as a priest. But that vocation was to help the entire nation lean into its priestly nature. And so right there, you have kind of a picture of what a pastor should be today, is that the role of the pastor is not to take all of the priestly functions um, from the people, but to help the people become more priestly in their own work, um, in their own service. And so, yeah, I think one way of reading the book is, you know, Corey and I just reflecting on and taking seriously, what does it mean to be priestly in the workplace? Not simply have dominion over the workplace, like uh, in terms of a royal, you know, obedience, but what does it mean to be priestly, to think of our work as, a, as an offering of worship? So I, I think that's, that's what we're wrestling with. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, the, the way the book is structured, there's there's three main parts. The first part you could say is is kind of setting up the problem, some of which we've already talked about. The second part is providing a really, I think, rich and it, you know it's appropriately the middle of the book. It's the heart of the book, the beating heart of the book in many ways. The, a really rich biblical and historical survey of you know biblical examples and from church history of the, you know a proper kind of integration between faith and work, and then. The third part, some practical examples, um, and we can talk about those again, as I've said in a minute. Um, can you say a little bit more about the problems that we face, especially in the context of the modern world? I mean, we've talked about the, you know, a, a potential problem, at least, of the faith and work kind of conversation that focuses so much on theory and not on practice and, and the head less than the heart or the hands. Um, but what are some more just kind of fundamental problems with, with our approach to work in a modern world? I mean, Corey, in, in, in your first answer, you, you you know, you didn't say Gnostic. The word Gnostic comes up in the in the book for sure. We we seem to have a kind of at least semi Gnostic approach to you know our the the, the way we view the world in the church. Um, and if if you're going to derogate physicality, you know, no no wonder that our bodies suffer. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of many of the plagues that we have in in, in the United States, for example, sociologically. Um, you know, these these so called deaths of despair. Questions of addiction and suicide, uh, social disjuncture associated with with you know familial disintegration and so on. Can you talk about the kind of pathologies of work that we experience in the modern world today? Yeah, I think all three of us. This would be like an all, an all share to to discuss this. There's so <laughs> many, um, but yeah, I know you wanted to wait a little bit. I'm going to probably bring in conversations around how work has been disruptive and the pains that are brought in. Uh, because of the pandemic? Sure, bring that in now. That's fine. I mean, you know, this is the existential reality that we're all living in right now. Yeah, I mean, that sense of, yeah, a sense of, of isolation. So, I mean, just to take it like, you know, our, one of the, the ironies is, is we would wrote this book and finished it last uh, December, right? So a year ago, promptly set it off, sent it off. And then we started hearing news like the very next month about this uh, COVID, you know, coronavirus, you know, emerging um, overseas and could it make its way over? And, mm -hmm. you know, so um, our book is really, uh, it takes the assumption of gathered worship, right? And largely in a, in the world, gathered work, right? Gathering for work and gathering for worship. You know, now, I mean, people have been working remotely for a long time and that's been a trend. 
Um, and there's a lot of challenges that have been surfaced because of that isolation. Um, you can take even just in terms of our bodies, like often, you know, so much time now is spent online or Zoom fatigue. Um, people, I just sent Matt an article from the BBC this morning about um, uh, an, an organization, a business that is using these bracelets that employees will wear remotely, you know, wherever they're working and they can push one of two buttons to say if they're happy or they're sad. Um, <laughs> okay. and, um, so that their managers have a, have it on their, um, on their, uh, what do you call it? What's that thing called? I'm looking down below the launch pad or their dash, you know, the, the dashboard yeah. and see how, cause they can't see, they can't, you know, their employees and how are they doing, you know, throughout the day, a friend of mine's a manager for a local, um, uh, Apple store and he has just been over the top. Like most of his day is calling and checking in. He, and this is even when everything was in lockdown. So Apple stores weren't even open. Most of his day was calling all of his team and just checking in. How are you doing? What's going on? Like where are you at emotionally? How are you doing physically? Right. And so um, there is, um, you know, there's there's just even get our head around the maladies and the challenges that we're that we're facing um, have been heightened. Right. So the sense of um, lack of, of um, a disconnection from our bodies as well as disconnection socially from each other has been, it was already there, has been heightened during this time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, people are looking for a sense of, of um, integration in terms of body and mind or body and soul. People are looking for a sense of cohesion in terms of, of um, you know, connectedness, you know, to each other. And uh, Matt sent an article from what was it the New York Times was that it Matt or the New Yorker about the um, this other organization that is basically offering secular rituals for the workplace, understanding like basically organizations realize we need some sort of embodied ritual to help us um, help our employees during this time, like Zoom happy hour or what kind of what kind of liturgies workplace liturgies are we talking about here? Yeah, it's so it's sort of like um, mindfulness and meditation liturgies to okay. help their their workers, you know, either center themselves or de-stress themselves. And the whole purpose and, and the call here is is it, it makes workers more productive. Right. So it's sort of using spiritual practices that are normally rather Eastern yoga type things, mm-hmm. but the it's sort of capitalism. Um, assuming spiritual practices to improve the productivity of, of workers. Um, but, you know, as, as, as a kind of an instrumental, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? So, you know, you, people are starting businesses of being sort of like spiritual corporate spiritual gurus. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's the maladies for social and vocational life. I, I mean, extend to just idolizing your work, um, you know, stress, exhaustion, we, we have a line in the opening of our book that says, essentially, we are living our lives in pieces and the pieces are dying. Mm-hmm. And what we see in scripture is um, a deep conversation between um, the fields, the marketplace, and the temple in which um, people move back and forth and they bring their, their work um, and they bring their 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 cries as well. So I think one of the things for Christians um, who are suffering in this time 
um, in terms of isolation, frustration, um, exhaustion, all of those things, providing space in worship and prompting to bring their heartbreaks um, about work, um, to confess their idolatry with work, whatever those things are, but bringing those things to God. You know, talking about traditional faith and workbooks, they can be rather triumphalistic that, you know, your work matters to God and you can change the world through the marketplace. Um, and, you know, with God's help, you can, you can be a change agent within the marketplace. Um, and those books often don't really provide a lot of resources for workers who are, you know, exhausted or, or heartbroken or, um, you know, just sort of on the underside of the economy. So a big part of what churches can do in this time, you know, of unemployment and exhaustion is providing space and worship for workers to, um, to cry out. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in some ways what I'm hearing from, from you, and I think it's accurate, is that there's a disconnect, too, between um, a kind of th- theological affirmation of work, which is true as far as it goes, certainly from the biblical account, but um, a disconnect between that and the lived experiences of works for so many of us, um, reckoning with the reality of sin and the transfer or the deformation of work f- – uh, from work into something like toil east of Eden after the fall. Uh, and that's universal. You know, we we all experience it, even if uh, it doesn't look like we do or we're not honest about it or we're not comfortable enough to bring that uh, or we don't have space to do that within the context of corporate worship or in social media, you know, it, it's got to be smiles and puppy dogs all the time and not, you know, the anxiety of of workplace demands or providing for your family and so on. Um, can you can you say a little bit about the need to kind of what the opportunities are there for corporate worship to help us open up as people, even in just individuals, um, and be honest about the the experiences of suffering that we we have, um, even if it's you know spiritual disintegration as opposed to like you know physical deformation from our jobs. We you know we are struggling, and work um, is is being redeemed. But it's not done being redeemed yet, and we all still have the kind of uh, experiences of alienation and sin uh, that are endemic in a fallen world. How can worship? How can how can this kind of new approach, this new old approach, as you make the case very well, uh, that was embedded in Israel's uh, liturgical practices and, and entire society? How can these help us overcome some of our modern uh, inabilities to process the the realities of sin that we deal with? Yeah, that's a great question. Matt's kicking me underneath the table here, pointing like you do this one. Um, so let me just take that in two parts. One is is the reality of yeah that often when we deal with um, with work in the biblical account, um, we talk about God's intention, right? Genesis one and two vision, and we don't really take into account both the Genesis three and four, you know, work east of Eden, and rarely the work in the context of Pharaoh and Egypt. Mm. Um, so there's that. And then I'll get to the question and bring me back to it if I miss it, um, on how worship or maybe Matt will jump in on that, how worship can help. But just a couple things. I think, you know, I, so for part of the, my dissertation and this book, um, isn't my dissertation, but we couldn't have written this book if I hadn't done the dissertation that I did. Uh, I interviewed about 80 workers in different sectors 
Um, they were part of three different congregations in three different cities. And part of what I learned um, from uh, those interviews sitting down with these 80 workers was um, that suffering finds its way and manifests itself at all different kinds of, of jobs, right? So some of the most dissatisfied and uh, I would say in pain people I interviewed were actually white-collar workers in San Francisco. Hmm. Um, and that congregation overall, there was a lot more existential pain that people had. So you that's not to deny, particularly right now in this pandemic, how frontline workers, those who, um, uh, yeah, whose work, like so some of my students here are uh, pastors of uh, Hispanic churches here in the Midwest, and they have a lot of uh, field workers, Right, in their congregation. And the amount of exposure that frontline workers, um, those who are working in factories have to, um, to the illness, to just you know, harsh work environments or potential danger is disproportionate right? to um, those of us who, like for myself, I can work remotely. Right? But that doesn't mean that people like myself don't experience pain. And so my wife, who's a psychologist and therapist, would say, if you're drowning in 10 feet of water or you're drowning in 100 feet of water, um, the news report the next day will say the same thing. You drowned in the water. And right. we, 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 our, our pain does need to be right-sized for sure, right? But the way forward is not to minimize our pain um, and act like we don't have it. Right. So, you, you know, yes, there are worse things going on in the world. People are in more pain in different kinds of jobs um, or without work. Um, but the way forward, the way of empathy is actually to embrace the pain that you have and bring that before God. That creates more space within you to actually hold space for their pain. So that would be the first thing that I would I would say just about like the nature of pain and how it shows up in work. It's not just oh, those who are in, you know, really bad work conditions. It manifests itself in white collar jobs, you know, all across the spectrum. Um, so one of the things that often happens is, you know, a friend of mine who's a nurse, he, I gave him a book um, in this faith and work movement. It's the one that's my favorite that I give out to a lot of people. And he read it and he said, it's really good, but it doesn't answer my questions. This author is assuming that we all enjoy our work or like our work. And for him, hmm. he's a nurse. He knows his work matters to God. Um, he knows that it has a role within God's purposes, but he doesn't like his work. It doesn't, it doesn't connect with a lot of his giftings. He only does it because it provides for his family and for his wife to be a worship leader. And, and she doesn't make enough to do that without that. And so it's very possible that often we, our theology is not asking the questions of pain that are on the ground. And I just want to say it's important to acknowledge the, the, how pain shows up, right? And the, the, the work of the church in terms of what space can the you know, gathered worship um, offer for us to bring these these whole range of joys and sorrows, laments and um, and uh, praises to God, is that um, I think that what it does is it it it, um, it it highlights the value and the importance of the liturgy as a whole. And from you know two Reformed theologians, you know, or three of us here in this conversation, <laughs> we tend to like prize the preaching. And this is where I think our Eastern Orthodox and Catholic brothers and sisters have a lot to offer us. The liturgy as a whole forms us and does its work. There's spaces for silence. There's, there's a room for mystery. 
there's just, you know, often people I would interview about their experience of, of the liturgy in light of their work week. And for many people, they would say, this is the first time all week that I've sat still and made space to, to process my, the joys and the sorrows from my work before God. It's literally the only time in my week where I have silence and stillness. Right? And it's there as they're hearing a song or they're singing a song or hearing a, a scripture read that they are able to, sometimes the song is about praising God and it actually prompts lament. <laughs> so it's a song about God showing up, God being in power, and they're asking questions in light of their work. God, all I saw this week is your hiddenness, mm-hmm. right? I'm in touch with the suffering. So that song of praise actually prompts lament from them, which is authentic worship, right? And all, all lament, you know, uh, boots off of or is based out of, of uh, praise or of truth, right? About this is who God is. And the psalmists and our great worship leaders say, yeah, when the world is not the way it's supposed to be or the way God intended to be, the response is not to be quiet. It's to cry out, right? And lament. So there's a lot of room in the worship space uh, in, in, in gathered worship to create space for workers to to bring in, to actively reflect and to bring into that experience, whether it's logging on to Zoom or driving or commuting to or walking to, you know, the, the, the building of the church, that that should be a transformed, that, um, that commute, if you will, should be transformed into a, a reflective space of what do I need to bring into worship today? on behalf of my parish, my workplace parish, in terms of praise, in terms of lament, in terms of confession, in terms of offering a fruit to God. Matt, you want to jump in on that? No, I, I, I think I would just say that, um, you know, in Scripture, the when the workers cry out in Egypt, uh, God responds to their cry. And, you know, throughout the Psalms, we see, examples of being able to cry out to God about very earthy things and God responding. And, and then of course, in the prophets, we see examples of, you know, farmers, um, and, and workers who cry out and, and it's a, like their, their, their blood cries out to God and God, God hears them. Um, even Naboth's vineyard, who is, you know, his vineyard is, is taken by the King. Um, and, He's no longer able to work his land. And in fact, he's killed um, that, that uh, God responds to those marketplace um, evils. And, and we can bring those, those cries to God in worship. And yeah, that's, that's important. So, yeah, one of the thing, the great things about the book is, as we've already mentioned, is you've got a, a, a very solid grasp of the, the relation, the proper relationship between, uh, corporate worship, gathered worship, and work as, as the church scattered out in the world. Now, you know, given the context of the pandemic, ba- well, we've already talked a little bit about the isolation is, you know, the experiences of isolation. What we've, you know, mostly had is being scattered. Um, you know, looking forward to a time when we can legally and safely and all these sorts of things, depending on, you know, where you're listening from, can get together. Uh, for corporate worship and be gathered again, what are some of the ways uh, that worship leaders and pastors and those who are responsible um, 
for putting together and planning and executing corporate worship? What are some of the things they can do to help workers bring all these things that we're talking about into the worship service with them and express them? Yeah. So I, I actually just preached this last Sunday and I'm in Texas. And so, you know, here in Texas, we're free. <laughs> so we, we had physical worship. We did have some online worship as well. Um, but um, I specifically preached on work and worship this last week, and I'm going to be preaching again this next week. Um, and one of the key things we did was um, encourage people. We gave everyone a, a notepad um, and had them write down um, specific things from their daily work that they wanted to offer God. And so we gave them five different things they might offer to God. Um, one is sort of a trumpet of praise about something God had done for them. Uh, another would be sort of an ashes of confession, something they needed to confess from the workplace. Um, uh, tears of lament or heartbreak, something that has broken their heart at work. Um, uh, a petition, something they, they need God to move in their workplace in, in some way. And then the last is some sort of fruit, something they have made that they would ask that it would be to God's glory. Um, and I had them write those things down in worship and then carry them forward and place them on the table as they take communion. Mm. And, and we talked about how the bread and the wine is, is really the offering of the people of God. They're bringing their work, you know, something they made, which is bread, right? We, we make that bread uh, and we make that wine and we offer it up to God. And in this, you know, profound mystery, God takes the work of our hands, this bread and this wine, and God blesses and nurtures, you know, and nourishes us with it. And it's, it's simple stuff that we have made um, in, in our simple, you know, in our simple human way. And yet God does something extraordinary through our ordinary work. And so just in worship, I encourage them to bring their work forward to the table. And then we talked about how, you know, a meal with Jesus has consequences for our daily work. And I tell the story of Zacchaeus that when Zacchaeus has this meal with Jesus, um, it doesn't simply change his, his personal life. It changes the way he runs his house you know, the way he runs his tax collecting business. And, you know, after this meal with Jesus, uh, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. You know, the way this house is run, the oikonomia of this house, to use acting language, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so that's just one example. And another, you know, Corey brought up the mission map. Uh, and, and, and next week, what we're going to be doing is we have a whole map of the city of Houston, and we're going to have everyone come forward and put a little pin in that map where they work, where they serve, just as a visual reminder that all over the city of Houston, um, our church is on mission. Uh, it's The church is not simply the building, but it is the places where we work and serve the kingdom of God. Um, you know, another thing Corey, Corey brought up, which I, I love this example, um, he brought up this sort of ritual that churches can do called um, this time tomorrow. And you can do this with online church really easily is have everyone in your church send in a picture of themselves uh, where they work. Hmm. You know, they can just snap a photo on their phone and mail it in 
A selfie, and even, you yes. <laughs> take a selfie in your workplace where you work. And then you can provide a, a space and time during worship where you just flip through photos of the congregation at work. And you can simply invite people to pray for each other's work. And, and, it, and when we feel so disconnected during this time of pandemic, you know, just seeing pictures of people in the family of God, you know, working away, it, it makes you feel more connected and it helps you visualize the church um, when you're so disconnected from each other. And it's just this nice little liturgy to remind ourselves um, that at this time tomorrow on Monday morning at 10 a.m., uh, the church is still here. It's still working. It's still participating in the mission of God. And so little things like that, maybe Corey has a has one or two, but those, those are just simple, very easy things that any church can do. Can I just, Jordan, add in one quick story to uh, yeah. just illustrate a simple thing, if that's all right. <clears throat> sure. Um, so I interviewed um, this one woman who was a speech therapist who uh, worked in hospitals with stroke victims. And um, in my interviews, the first part was just simply about their work, the joys, the sorrows. You know, the second part was like, how does their faith help them uh, deal with those hardships and also find, you know, redemption or flourishing in the midst of that? And the third part was about their experience of Sunday worship in light of their weekday work. So in the first part, like within the first five, 10 minutes, she described her work, right? What she does on a daily basis. And, and I just made a comment. I said, man, you're, that, that sounds very intense, that work that you're doing. What gives you strength um, to, uh, to make it through for each day, you know, uh, as you try to um, bring healing or hope um, and care to your, to, um, to your clients. And, um, without missing a beat, she said the benediction. And I was like, Oh, well, tell me about that. You know, jumping ahead in the interview, but <laughs> curious. And she said, well, I always have, uh, the, you know, my patients in mind, like they, you know, they just, their faces come to mind throughout the day. And when they do, I say a prayer, um, you know, God, like, you know, grant them healing, give me wisdom on what kind of treatment plan they may need. And then I, you know, continue to proceed on, you know, with my day. And so when we come to the benediction, um, may the, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be, you know, on you and through you to all those to whom God sends you, as with the benediction at her church, you know, that's a few lines from it. She said, when we say those lines, um, I'm picturing all my patients and who I'm going to be, you know, caring for this coming week. And so I hear, I see their faces and I hear God commissioning me, blessing me to go out and serve them on, on, on his behalf. And no one told her to, no one taught her how to make those connections between her daily work and the benediction. She's doing that intuitively. And, um, and actually if you, you know, in interviewing her, she probably could, she definitely would not give you a sophisticated worldview answer theologically, right. About her work. But here was a powerful practice that she just created on her own, um, of how to inhabit the liturgy in ways that had deep integration between um, the spirit of God's work in the liturgy and the spirit of God's work in the world. And so those are just that, that queued up for me. Oh my goodness. I don't, I don't inhabit the liturgy that way. <laughs> I'm not thinking about that. I have a lot of things that I'm anxious about this coming week or stressed about, and I'm not holding that before God as I hear the blessing. Right. 
um, or mm-hmm. you know partaking in the in the Lord's Supper. And so I think just to just to um, just to add that illustration in that whatever pastors, worship leaders, liturgists can do to help make those um, uh, conditions for associations. It doesn't have to be a direct, you know, pedagogical teaching time, but help build connections or make space where connections can be made between, you know, the joys, sorrows, trumpets, ashes, tears that Matt talked about and, um, and the liturgy. That's this very, very simple ways of with benediction, with the call to worship that can go a long ways to help people inhabit worship in ways that um, just have a lot deeper integration and integrity. The book is Work and Worship. The authors are Matthew Kamink and Corey Wilson. Um, I, I really heartily recommend this book. I mean, you know, we, we, we opened up the conversation talking about book clubs and giving books to people, and this is one more thing for somebody to read. But this is, I mean, I thought at many points throughout this, I'm going to get a copy of this for my my pastor and my worship leader. I want them to read it. Um and there are more resources uh, and practical suggestions and these sorts of things and insights uh, and great experiences that that Matthew and Corey draw from that are in this book. So it's highly recommended and it speaks um, so directly to so much of what is, is, is troubling the world, much less the church and the, the experience of the individual Christian in the modern world. So – Corey Matthew, I know you're not opposed to book clubs. I'm sure it'd be great if you if people bought the book and had book clubs and reading groups about it. But um, thank you so much for joining joining us on Act Online, and um, yeah, thank you so much for your work that went into this book. Yeah, it was a real pleasure, and really grateful for you, Jordan, and the Acton Institute. And thanks so much for having us, and you know, cultivating these conversations. And we hope to have more in the future. Yes, amen to what Matt said. Thank you so much, Jordan. As always, thank you so much for listening today. Our team loves putting this show together for you every week, and it's so encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can reach our team at actonline at actin.org. Until next week, for Act in Line, I'm Eric Cohn.